0: Welcome to Moving On. Here you will get expert information, tips, and most importantly, the tools to moving on to a healthy, happy, and thriving life that you want to be living. Letting go of whatever is holding you back, whether you are in an unhealthy relationship or learning how to be in a healthy one, or maybe you are in a job that you've been dying to move on from. Learn to let go of what's holding you back and become the thriving, healthy, and happy person that is inside you. Welcome to Moving On.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Moving On, where I speak to people who have been through all sorts of, let's say, challenges or moments in their life where they had to pivot And they have come forth and said, you know what, I'm going to come on this show and I'm going to share all about me with Tracy Crossley. So today, my guest is Nick Pigeon. Hey, Nick. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so
2: thrilled to be here.
1: I am thrilled too. I was looking at your bio and I thought, this is interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and share with you guys who Nick is. So she is known as the girl who made Elon Musk cry. Nick Pigeon is a leader with a high level network of clients and business friends. Nick supports coaches to grow six- and seven-figure coaching businesses online, and her clients have generated over $25 million in the last five years. She is a best-selling Hay House author, award-winning positive psychologist, twice-certified high-performance coach, and investor. She is the founder of the multi-million-dollar brand Unstoppable Success and creator of the Positive Psychology Coach Academy Certification and her mission is to help millions of people change their lives through positive psychology and entrepreneurship and that is an interesting marriage <laughs> <laughs> you know because being an entrepreneur is not all um you know a bed of daisies it's more like a bed of roses so definitely so let's go back way back in time to childhood okay and when you were a kid and you know you were doing your thing i don't know what you were doing and of course whatever you want to share is great but When you looked at, okay, here I am, what do I want to do when I get older? Like, what was it that you thought you wanted to do? And of course, most of us think things we want to do and don't do them. But what about you?
2: When I was really young, I used to want to be an accountant, (laughs) which I literally can't imagine doing now. I mean, I love a spreadsheet, but not my vocation in life. And then when I got a little bit older, I started to want to set up a business. Now it's interesting because that wasn't where I actually went with my career path. So instead of doing the thing that I wanted to do, I did what I thought I should do. And I just think it's such a young age to even know. Like if I look back at 15, 16, 17, I was doing maths and physics to a really high level at high school. And my dad was telling me, Nick, I think you should do something with that. There's not many girls who are really good at maths. So I was like, okay, dad. And I I kind of took what he said and tried to figure out a career that would use those skills. And I have always loved cars. So I put those two things together and decided I wanted to become a mechanical and automotive engineer. So super interesting and really, really different to where I'm at right now.
1: Okay. So, when you were okay, so this was when you were a teenager though, right? The whole wanting to be wanting to use math basically mm-hmm. in a career. What kind of a a personality do you feel like you had as a kid in terms of were you like the go-getter kid or were you more, you know, somebody to follow the leader? Like what was your style? How were you as a kid?
2: I was the really annoying kid that always asked why. So I rem- I actually used to get told off by my parents for asking so many questions. And so it makes sense now that I've wound up being a coach. I just remember saying, but why? But why? And just being super so <laughs> positive um, all of the time. I was really hardworking. And I think I did get that real positive characteristic from my dad. Because I saw him going out and I saw him going to work and working really long hours and So that was instilled in me from a really young age. So I think it was very positive. And I also learned that doing things was what got you approval or validation. So for me, it was very much, okay, I'm going to get the next certificate, or I'm going to get the good grade on the test, and I'm going to take it home to mom and dad, and they're going to praise me because of that. Mm -hmm. So I think I really had to do a lot of undoing of that particular conditioning when I got a little bit older. So I was kind of like the geeky kid that was always reading the books and I was much more advanced for my age. And that felt cool because I've always loved to read and I used to get called the bookworm, but I also actually got bullied for it as well. So I got bullied when I was super young and it's interesting because I had a conversation with one of my best friends who's huge in the subconscious and trauma um space and she was like a lot of traumas like your big childhood traumas will happen in that window of like the like 10 to 13 age range mm-hmm. so when I heard that I was like oh do you know what I've never actually thought about that time period as significant in my life But when I look back and I look at actually what happened back then, one Tuesday morning, I I remember I was supposed to go into school and it was a PE day. So it was sports. And I hated sports because that's when I got bullied the most. So for me, the structure of a lesson was really good because I could sit at my desk and do my work and the teacher was in control of the class as soon as I went into PE it was kind of a free-for-all and that's when the bullies could get me Mm -hmm. so that Tuesday morning I actually it's funny isn't it the the picture that you get in your mind exactly where I was exactly how I felt like going into my mum's medicine cabinet inside her um, bathroom while she was getting ready for her to go to work and I literally took every single tablet that I could find in her medicine cabinet and I remember my mum calling my dad and she was crying her eyes out and she was like Nicola like I can't, I can't believe this so they rang the um, ambulance and rang the hospital I got taken into hospital for two days and because I didn't want to go to school and I was like wow. I'd rather not be here than go to school and then from there, my mum and dad pulled me out of that school and I was homeschooled for six months and they couldn't find a school to put me into. So I'd gone from this, being this person that thrives in a school environment to being a person that's now sat at home, getting work sent home in folders. And looking back, it was a pivotal time in my life for many reasons, both because it was like a real break in my life path but also because what of my what my um mum and dad then decided to do so we were living in an area that was kind of out of the catchment for the school that we wanted to put me into so dad ended up saying like we'll remortgage the house to be able to send you to a better school that's a little bit further afield And knowing my dad's very conservative, he's had that hard worker kind of go from the ground up and work your way up the career ladder mentality. So for him and my mum to decide to remortgage the house was like a really big deal. And at the time I didn't get that. Like now I'm in my 30s, I really understand how much of a, this does make me emotional, how much of a big decision that must have been for parents who were like working class.
1: Absolutely. But they also saw the importance of getting you to a place where you would function and where you would be able to go and not be afraid or not, you know, do what had already been done, I would assume.
2: hundred percent. And it was like the greatest gift that my parents could ever give me because it literally gave me a new start in life. And my dad joked when I got a little bit older, so when I got to kind of like 17, 18, 19, he said, do you know what, Nick? It was the best and worst thing I ever did for you. And it was the best because it helped you see a whole new world. It literally helped you like hang out with people whose parents and grandparents were lords and sirs and things like that. But it also meant that you were the bottom of the pile. So he said that from then onwards, I was always like squabbling my way to try and still prove and to try and be someone in this new world where I didn't have as much money as the other kids at school, I didn't have the new stuff, I didn't have the new shoes or the new pencil case. So it gave me kind of like a foot on the ladder. But it meant that I actually had to work a lot harder to get where I wanted to go because of that.
1: I bet did now were you able to get past the whole bullying and and have friends and a social life here? Or how did that work out?
2: I think it really put me in a space, honestly, Tracy, of like wanting to please other people. Like girls are mean. They are mean <laughs> at that age. and they actually were like physically fighting as well at that old school. So I was kind of coming from a frame of like real fear in relationships with other girls and women. And it took me a lot of time to actually work through that, through my own like spiritual processing and my own personal rituals and systems. Because in England, therapy wasn't a thing. Like I can't really comment now for kids, but in no, like I know now in living in America, if I had a kid that went through that, I'd be like, cool, let's go and get them some support and some help. That just wasn't even on our radar. So I was kind of muddling my way through and building these new friendships, but still feeling a lot of fear and feeling, will I be accepted in this space? And how will I be accepted? Who do I need to be? And was still on the academic path, but was also starting to learn as a teenager what it was like to have real friends who did support you and you could have a good time with. And there wasn't that fear of backstabbing or bitching or physical fighting as well.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right.
2: We're still friends now as well, which is cool.
1: That is cool. So it sounds like you were in a different you, I mean, having that framework before you, but then walking into this, it means it sounds like you were probably a little bit more open, even though you were probably a little bit trepid, you know, a little trepidation there. Um, and so then you got older, right. And you're like, okay, I'm going to become a mechanical engineer. And obviously from reading your bio, something happened somewhere because that's not what you're doing today. So what happened back then? And you made this pivot
2: that little thing called intuition
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I feel grateful
2: every single day that I learned to listen as soon as in my late teens so I'd actually taken a gap year after high school to go to Australia and spend six months across there with my partner who at the time was a cricket player So in England during the winter, it's really cold and it's not good conditions for playing cricket. So all of the teams used to go across to warm weather training. And when my partner was doing that training, he was seeing a sports psychologist at the same time. So that was a real first kind of opportunity for me to see that there was something called sports psychology. And he came back from a session with him. And he was like, Nick, this amazing thing happened today. I was like lying on the couch with this psychologist. And he said to me, close your eyes. And I want you to imagine you're out on the field and you're going to like hit the ball. And I want you to look at the field. And instead of looking at all of the fielders around you who are waiting to catch the ball, I want you to look at the gaps in between them of where you want to hit the ball instead And I was just like, oh my goodness, I was like, that is amazing. And what I took from that really simple conversation was that we spend so much time focused on the fielders and the problems and what's going wrong and the bills that we've got to pay. What if we just looked for those gaps instead? What if we focused on the opportunities and possibilities? So because of that one single conversation, I started to kind of direct my attention to this field of sports psychology and I read a book that my partner's dad had actually packed for the trip called Mind Gym Mm -hmm. and that book started to open my eyes even more so when I went back to England six months later I cancelled my degree and I went through a process in England called clearing which is basically all of the places at universities that are left over (laughs) You can kind of grab one and apply for them. So I applied to do sports science with psychology. So it was just a real, real pivot.
1: Wow, that is a real pivot. It's interesting too, because it sounds like at the time you were relating it to sports more so, right? Because obviously that's part of the degree that you were going for. Um, And so did you end up completing your degree when it came to sports? Yeah, so I did my
2: undergrad degree and towards the end of that, I had a guest lecturer that came in to do a presentation about positive psychology. And, you know, when you just find that thing that is like the thing that fits. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is my thing. So I decided to write my thesis about gratitude and positive psychology related to sport. And then I did a teaching and lecturing degree. So I would actually teach in universities and colleges on the psychology and sports science degrees. And then I went on to do my master's in positive psychology with a specialism in physical activity. So a lot of my research and love within the science, I mean, I love all of it. But a lot of my specialism is not actually just taking the neck up, but looking at the embodiment piece and how moving your body can move your mood as well.
1: Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And then did you go on to get a PhD or did you stop at the master's?
2: Not yet. I'm not Dr. Pigeon yet. (laughs) I would love to do that. And what feels exciting for me is for the PhD project, the exploration of why and how we can put together, let's say you and I in a room today, Mm -hmm. recording for the show, having this conversation. And what comes out of this conversation won't be Tracy plus Nick, it'll actually be some sort of phenomenon, like a product that's greater than the sum of its parts.
1: So mm-hmm. that's what I wanna investigate for the PhD. Very interesting. And it's something that um, sounds like it could possibly be a new frontier.
2: I'd love that for
1: yeah. sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and so going to, uh, <laughs> in your bio, cause I don't know anything about this and I don't know if my audience does, But you're known as the girl who made Elon Musk cry. What does that mean? What was that about? I I never heard of that. So, yeah.
2: Back in Newcastle in 2013, I was running my first businesses. I started in 2010 with a supplements company. Then I started coaching for £40 an hour. And I was being a personal trainer. And I was doing talks in my local library (laughs) to anyone who would listen And I got invited to do a Google Hangout with Sir Richard Branson and Elon Musk because I'd got my first ever business loan from Virgin Money. So they'd given me £8,500 to start up this business. And of course, I was like, yeah, for sure, I'll do all of the things. So I was invited to do this Hangout and ask a question The production team had given me a list of questions to choose from and they were all terrible. So I chose a question and then at the last minute decided to change the question. And I was speaking with Elon and he was like down the lens of a camera in Los Angeles. So Richard Branson was on Necker Island and then the Virgin Unite team were in South Africa. So I asked Elon, I said, I'm a positive psychologist and I'd really love to know what's been the most emotional challenge or decision that you've ever had to make in business and I didn't realize because I'm looking down this camera but the production team behind the camera were going oh my god like this so I'm trying to keep a straight face talking to this billionaire and what he was telling me was that he was he'd sold PayPal and he had this decision to make about whether to invest in Tesla or SpaceX And he was kind of feeling like these two businesses were his babies. And he was like, you know, you really don't want one of your children to starve. So I decided to take all of that money, all of the money that he had and split it across the two companies, leaving him nothing for rent or food or anything like that. So he was actually sleeping on a friend's sofa and he was recounting this story and it was bringing tears to his eyes. And he said that that was such a, such a hard challenge, but because he went all in, he was able to obviously scale Tesla and SpaceX to be this massive successes that we know today. So I got off that call and watched it back, and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that he'd got so upset. And I think it made me understand that it doesn't matter what point in your journey you're at; like, even billionaires get scared. So it gave me a lot of courage and comfort that the journeys that we go on in life, are going to take twists and turns and that's okay.
1: Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. It doesn't really matter where you are in life or where I should say you appear to others to be right. Because success of course is a personal thing, but then there's also the global aspect where People go, oh, you are successful and we have certain expectations that someone has arrived and maybe they don't have any problems anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe, you know, life is perfect, but circumstances never are. So, you know, for you, what would you say were some of the challenges that you hit in trying to be, you know, um, because it sounds like you were doing many things as an entrepreneur and not just one thing, um, you know, and there's a whole thing about that too. Like, oh, you know, you have to focus on just one, you can't do all and I'm not saying whether I subscribe to that because I really don't, but a lot of people do. So, you know, for you, what were some of the challenges that you hit?
2: So finances were definitely a challenge. I didn't know how to make money. I, I read um, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week and that was what made me start my business because I'd seen that you can make money without trading time for it what was that all about Mm -hmm. so when I started the business having my first kind of 35 pound sale come through was amazing but it felt like I was kind of like bumping along all of the time and I would have a, a bigger cash month but then I would be on this roller coaster of ups and downs and that was really an up and down for me emotionally as well I wanted to write a book but I wanted to write a textbook because I was still very much in that academic state of mind. And I felt like at that time, I was really putting on a front because I was still pretty young and I was still living from this place of kind of just go out and do it and try and make it work. And I hadn't really integrated my own challenges along the way. So I had a moment back in 2014 where I'd actually got really sick and I had a chest infection that was, had me in bed for days. I remember going to the restroom and having this like flashback. And I'd remembered two years earlier in 2012, where I'd been on holiday in Spain with friends and their parents and their kids. And we were all sat around a a lunch and I was actually due to fly home that day. And, I had a taxi that had come to pick me up that ended up not actually being a taxi. And on the way to the airport, I was actually raped. Oh my! It took me a long time to even remember and process that that had happened. And in 2014, that's when I did remember. And that's when I went to get proper support for that. So I went to work with Rape Crisis, which is a charity that specifically helps victims and survivors of sexual abuse. And that really was a massive unraveling and also a massive um, opportunity for me to really trust myself in that process. And I remember going to those sessions and saying to the counselor, just tell me what to do. Like, I feel so bad. Just please tell me what to do. And she almost like had a little glint in her eye and a smile. And she was like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're going to, you're going to find your way through. And I was so frustrated Mm because I felt like at that time, like I didn't know what to do to feel better. So in my life and also in my business as well, my MO has very much been just put one foot in front of the other and do your best. So gradually I started to see that I was having more better days and I was starting to feel like a little bit more hope and a little bit more light at the end of the tunnel. And from that, honestly, that's when I started to make decisions in my life to really, truly live. So I decided after coming out of that healing process to leave the UK and to write the book, Now Is Your Chance? And I was writing it from a very different perspective by then because I was writing it from a place of okay now I get the importance of your story now I get the importance of living the tools so that you can more powerfully teach them and not just teaching them out of a textbook so I had the this real depth of understanding alongside that I'd also lost seven of my close friends three of who died by suicide so it was like the universe was just giving me all of these things to kind of overcome and navigate and get curious about and question. And it was also putting these positive psychology tools to the test. So it felt like that was a very unsteady ground for me to be building the business on, but it was actually what allowed me to get really serious about it because I'd gone through this thing and I decided I was gonna go write the book. When I left the UK to write the book, I took the business online and I grew one of those location independent businesses that everyone was talking about. I was like I want to do that I've got my laptop and wi-fi I'm a big dream I'm a big mission so I just started taking people on that journey with me and I started telling people why I was so passionate around helping women find financial freedom and helping women to live a life on their terms and helping them to find their purpose too and people started to listen because people could see, oh, actually, the choices and decisions that I'd started to make in my life were like I was living what I was teaching. So from there, I went on to have my first $35,000 month in my business. I grew to six figures within 100 days. I went on to make a million before I was 30. And I've just carried on the journey from there on in.
1: That's lovely. And, you know, it's interesting, because I believe, you know, and, um, I've had my own business for the last 14 years, but I have a lot of friends that are also coaches and in this world too. And what is interesting to me is I always have believed, and it was like where I became successful was when I was the most authentic, when it was really about what have you been through and how are you applying it in your own life? And then how are you then offering it to others? Because to me, it doesn't make you a guru, it just makes you somebody who can give some you know, people tools. It can give them a flashlight, but they still have to do it themselves.
2: 100%. And I think it's that relatability that is so connecting for us. Because when you see someone who's been through something, whether it's the same or similar or totally different to you, it just gives you a greater degree of respect for that person weathering their storm and coming out of the other end to be able to show up and shine.
1: I think it gives you also the, um, the desi- you know, because we all have a desire, right, to live our life fully. And a lot of us don't have those tools. We'll go, oh, I don't know, and just keep doing the same thing and being miserable. But I think watching, you know, someone like what you've been through, you know, they're able to go, if she can do it, oh, maybe I can do it too. 100%, 100%. And I just love that energy of like inspiration and
2: aspiration and empowerment like one of my companies is called unstoppable success Mm -hmm. and unstoppable success yeah it's about creating what you want on the outside but really it's about that feeling on the inside it's like feeling unstoppable
1: yeah I think that's awesome so before we wrap up um what I'd like to do is have you share you know like what other things are happening for you at this point and how people, if they want to, you know, find you and get into your programs, what they do and all of that. So yes, please share. That's so kind of you. So I actually have my own
2: podcast, the unstoppable success podcast. So I'm always sharing tools and tips across that. And we've got our masterminds and our positive psychology coach certification. And we'll also, I'd love to gift your listeners with a free copy of Now
1: Is Your Chance as well. So I can send you a link to the book for that. Awesome, awesome. Um, I know my listeners would probably love that. And I am just, you know, thinking that this is, I mean, your journey, it sounds like you're probably going to keep expanding even way beyond where you are right now.
2: Yeah, the big vision for me, like I really see the positive psychology and entrepreneurship they're vehicles for people to activate and to strengthen and to thrive. So with the positive psychology coach certification, we're activating these leaders all around the world. And there's something that happens called positive emotional contagion. So that ripple effect, I want it to literally envelope the world and just to help raise consciousness and raise vibration so everyone can get to live more flourishing lives.
1: I love that. I think that's great. And I'm all for that success for sure. So you are welcome. So Nick, thank you again for joining me today.
2: So welcome. So much fun.
1: I'm glad. And I've enjoyed this too. I always do. I learned so much. Um, And so everybody listening, if you have any questions at all for Nick, you can either leave them where you find the video or the audio. Uh, You can also email. um, In fact, what is your website so people can find you? Nickpigeon.com. Oh, easy. (laughs) it's always easy, right? When it's the name. Okay. It's my name. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, and then you can find her there as well, but if you have any questions, like I said, or anything, you can leave them and we will get them to Nick. So once again, uh, you guys joining us and listening to another story, I hope this has inspired you or motivated you to get out in your own life and really live it to the fullest. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: For more information about Tracy and her programs and to set up a discovery session, email happiness at tracycrossley.com. That's happiness at tracycrossley.com or go to the website for more information. And thank you for tuning in to Moving On.